0: Hello and welcome to Signal Path, a podcast series by Shaw which follows the pivotal moments that have influenced the way artists think about sound. In this series, we'll be chatting to the musicians, sound artists and experimentalists who have pushed the boundaries in sound, hearing about the standout musical moments that have made them who they are today. I'm Zaki Asool, and in this episode, I'll be talking to the legendary DJ, producer and artist Jeff Mills. Hi, Jeff. Uh, welcome to the podcast and thanks so much for, uh, for, for joining me. How are you doing?
1: I'm, I'm doing fine. Thanks. Th- thank you.
0: Mills is one of the founding figures of techno. He co-founded Underground Resistance in Detroit before becoming a resident DJ at New York's Limelight Club and the famous Trezor in Berlin. You haven't even had your breakfast yet. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Known for his minimalist sound, he still DJs and releases music to this day. So let's get started. I want to ask you about sort of when you first started making music um in Detroit and and what the sort of atmosphere was around that time and how did that affect your pr- approach to sound?
1: Right. Well, I mean um you know the city as you might know has a very long and deep history with music in, in general, you know. And uh you know we're talking about a period a time that is really uh not post Motown but so many other remnants of that great era. And I mean, I, I went to grade school with the daughter of Eddie Kendricks. She sat in front of me, you know, she had this big Afro, which I couldn't see <laughs> around. Her name was Deidre. And, um, and you know, you, you are living amongst all these stories and all these um, legendary people from the same neighborhoods in the city. So um, music was always something very special it was it was always something that was very very close to the people it was it wasn't just for entertainment but it was really something that really runs through the bloodline of the average detroiter and everybody has a story everyone has a connection um you know the cousin of Diana Ross or someone worked in you know the studio or someone you know uh and so um if if I had to kind of sum up in just a few words, what what was it like? It was it was very rich uh, with information.
0: Wow. I mean, yeah, just the, the idea—it's all you're sort of taking it all in, and you're not necessarily doing anything with it yet. But it's sort of like a you're kind of accumulating the stores that then get expressed when you start making your own music.
1: Yeah, I mean that 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 was a time when y- you know you were closer to your neighbors. You know, so on my street, we played with the other. Th- families that had kids of my age and my older sister played with the other kids of of her age and so you kind of have extended siblings in a way um and so music was the things that kind of bonded us all together so when the jackson five came out you know i mean we all wanted to be you know part of the jackson (laughs) five and so um i mean it's truly a music city that that's for sure
0: well I love that picture you're painting of sort of collaboration and community and connection which sort of brings me to my next question which is about you know your time with Underground Resistance and you know we couldn't really talk about your career without mentioning this particular collaboration. So could you tell me about how, how it came about and, and what, it, what it meant to you and what impact it had on your sort of musical, on your musical journey?
1: Uh, Well, yeah. I I, I met um, Mike. I was working for a radio station, and a friend, uh, one of the hosts of the radio station, um, knew Mike, and maybe his Mike's sister. Or um, she asked me if I could go by a recording studio to help some friends of hers make a house house track. This was um, the time where house music was still very new. It was primarily just in Chicago and in New York. and But for the rest of the country, it was still, still reveling News. So because I worked for a radio station, I got a lot of music early. So I, I was pretty familiar with the sound of house music. And so she asked me if I could go by the studio after my radio show um, to meet them and to see if I can help them make a house music mix. So I did that. And that was really the first time that I met Mike and his band. From that point on, we we just became very good friends and uh so we decided to sit down to get together to kind of see if we can come up with some way to work together as a unit. And uh he said that he had this name Underground Resistance, you know, that he didn't do anything with. It was just he just copyrighted the name and and uh maybe we, you know we could use that. So I said, okay great, you know, and then we started the conversations of how we should do it. And um we had both had some experience uh in music industry dealing with major labels and independent labels and we took those experiences and decided to kind of do it differently um to to communicate and to have more control um and to kind of basically chart our destiny from you know from that point on and so we kind of rewrote the rules of how you know how we're going to work in music and uh it was a very interesting time because this was before the Internet, but communicating was becoming easier because of the fax machine. And you could go to a appliance store and buy a fax machine. This this was revolutionary at the time. <laughs> and so we we were you know, we were amazed that we could send a letter within seconds to someone on the other side of the world. This, this was a big thing back then and um so we so we got into the art of sending faxes you know and um also you know almost like propaganda you know (laughs) we were really creating you know uh not, not just announcements because of our you know of our new releases but we were really uh implementing our position in terms of what we think music should be you know free and open for everyone and and I think that resonated with a lot of people in Europe. And so they we, at the, at the same time, we were making a lot of music and um, had not been to Europe yet. We had no idea. We were just asking people like Derek May and Kevin Sanderson and Juan what it was like and uh, printing lots of T-shirts at the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> t-shirts and faxes. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, right, right.
0: Um, and, and that kind of spirit of, of, of resistance or that kind of, you know, that, that you, you describe it as almost propaganda. I mean, how was that reflected in the kind of the literal sounds that you were, that you were making at that time?
1: Well, I mean, I mean even then, I mean, uh, it, you know, there isn't much talk about it. But the music was conceptual because we, we would have long conversations about the subject. And we would go back and forth for days and days and days before we would sit down to to write the music Mm. so so we knew the direction because we had you know uh and and we had begun to look around us at that time and to look at the condition of the city and we were beginning to kind of translate what we were our surrounding into the music Mm. that dictated how i programmed the drums that dictated you know how mike did the piano it dictated how um uh, we mixed it. It dictated uh, the frequency of how fast we were releasing music, which was actually a lot of music in a short period of time. Uh, we re- we record all through the night. We would never sleep. Um, <laughs> and um, it was urgent. It, w- it was a nonstop music production you know, situation.
0: So, so that time, that music was very much influenced by, as you say, your surroundings, by the atmosphere of Detroit at that time. So, what made you decide to uproot and leave and move to another city, New York?
1: Well, I mean, I was a, I was a DJ. I mean, before I, before I met Mike, and um, you know, that was my day job. I produced a radio show, and to get an offer to move to New York to DJ professionally as a residency is a big deal. Um, I know maybe now it doesn't, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't seem like, you know, because people, you know, you just catch a flight and, you know, you're there. But back then in in the, in the early 90s, to be asked to move to Manhattan to play at a club, it doesn't get any better really than that. So I had to consider that, you know. But of course, I was in underground resistance. And so I said, okay, look, I'll I'll come and play in your club if, you give us basically everything we have here in Detroit because you know um, I was doing the administration for the label, I was doing the contracts and the agreements, and and I didn't want to drop that, so I I said okay, I'll come if you give us this this an apartment, an office, uh, everything, free phone, everything, and they said okay, we give you everything that you want, just come. So when I got there, everything was there—an apartment I had an, and then. And then slowly, eventually, uh, Mike decided that he did not want to be involved in what was going on in New York. He wanted to keep everything in Detroit. So I I could not, as a DJ, I could not leave uh, New York. I had to take that opportunity. But I had this free office and free apartment (laughs) and free everything. So I decided, okay, I'm I'm not going to waste all that. I'm going to start my own label. I'm going to leave Underground Resistance and start a label, and the label was called Axis.
0: So can you take me back to your sort of first experiences of New York? You know, what did it feel like to land in that city? What was the, you know, what were the sights? What, how, did it, how, how did it kind of assault your senses as, you know, coming from Detroit?
1: Prior to that, I had only been there just a few times. And and it was pretty isolated, you know, from the airport to the taxi, taxi to the hotel, to hotel to the venue, and then reverse and back out. But I'd never really spent a lot of time in, in Manhattan. And for the first few days, I was terrified. I was it was a culture shock. I mean, I, you know, Detroit's a much smaller city of about 4 million people. There's not much going on, you know, out in the street. But in Manhattan or in New York, it's not like that. It's 24-hour movement, 24-hour traffic jams, uh, you know, 24-hour, uh, uh, just people everywhere all the time. And, and um, yeah, I just, I, it took me about a week or two to adjust to get used to being there. To be con- this constant flow of, of movement, um, it never sleeps. And you know, walking down the street at four a.m. is almost the same as walking at four p.m. Um, and uh, and the people actually, it, it took me a while to get used to the converse- how to have a conversation with the people i mean i was from detroit so we talked a little bit slower (laughs) and and in in manhattan you know the people are you know it's like uh it's a whole nother language you know and uh it's more of an aggressive way of speaking and uh and so you know i i think eventually i kind of found my space in 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 new york um and uh which was actually in my apartment making music actually <laughs> so um so I spent you know, a, you know a lot of time composing a lot of music and rebuilding the studio uh, uh in a different way than what was in detroit and i had a I had a few more new reasons of 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 um why I would like to produce music I mean the music at the time was really hard and really fast and and i and I wanted to create a label that was more diverse and uh, really touched on the the spirituality of the dancer, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to push the dancer around with beats, but more so to kind of penetrate the mind uh, and to work with the listener in more subtle ways.
0: Get fully to Chicago. I want to just kind of take take you back again to, to New York because I'm curious. I mean, I want to hear a little bit about about Limelight because this was the club that you that, that kind of set you up nicely, nice with your fax machine in your office and everything, and that kind of brought about this change. And could you you know describe that club? Describe the atmosphere. What what was it like? To, you know, what was it like? So how did it feel being in that in that in that club environment? And was it different to the spaces that you'd you'd been that you'd been in before?
1: Uh, it was heavy. I mean, it was. Uh I was playing in Europe. Um, I mean, in fact, that was maybe part of the attraction of why they wanted me to come to New York was because I had the knowledge of playing uh, parties in Germany and and in England. And um, But New York was a little bit different. I mean, they don't do small things there. Uh, <laughs> everything is over-exaggerated and bombastic and a bit over the top. I mean, so the DJ booth, for instance, had these... Monitors that were maybe about—I just remember them being about seven feet tall on on each (laughs) each side, and when I would play something, the sound was so powerful that it would push me from side to side, and the uh, VIP uh, marketing advertising—they had multiple rooms full of people on the telephone, giving people complimentary tickets to come in and it was i would have to say maybe about 100 people oh my god do, do, doing that i just kind of stood back and just watched and uh, tr- tried to not get in the way of anything and then um, i decided i wanted to leave i didn't want to become a new yorker i think that's i think that's Pretty much,
0: yeah. I'm interested in you know this this sort of chaos and this sort of you know this 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 picture you're painting of the city at that time. On the one hand, it sounds like I just want to be there, but another, it is quite overwhelming. And and how did that did that affect the music that you're making at the time? You know, you talked about a kind of move towards something more spiritual or wanting to sort of you know slightly different, not sort of assaulting people with this with sound or you know was that? Yeah, yeah.
1: The sound was so much that my ears would be ringing for like. 48 hours after each party, you know. So when I got home, I, I just didn't want to hear that type of music until I got to the club. But I wanted to listen to electronic music, but I wanted a different type of music, something in contrast to that. And so that was the type of music that I was making at, at the time. I think uh, Waveform Transmission 1 was the album that was being created and tested during that time, you can pretty much hear uh, the, the aggression in that. Then the later Axis releases were more subtle and more, uh, and that, that's in contrast to what I was dealing with in New York.
0: It's really interesting that all the sort of you know, significant moments that you've chosen have been linked to a kind of move to a new place. So do you feel that, that your music and your creative process is quite, quite linked to the sort of the environment, the cities that you've chosen to live in?
1: Yes, yes, very, very much so. And, you know, I'm conscious of that. I didn't think that I would be affected by New York. You know, I would still keep my, you know, uh, Midwestern Detroit (laughs) mentality, you know, but actually it did. And by the time I settled in Chicago, I was working 10 times faster than everybody else. And I think that that kind of helped me advance a little bit in terms of the label and creating more music which led to Purpose Maker and so many other things that, because I could just produce so much music in such a short period of time. That comes from being in New York. When in Detroit doing radio, I had to have a lot of discipline because the radio station demanded a lot of um, precision. So I had a certain amount of discipline already by the time I got in New York. So... I knew when it was time to go home. I knew when it was time to wake up. I didn't drink. I didn't, you know, I don't do drugs. I was just really about the music, you know.
0: Okay, so you've been, you're in New York. You've had enough. You're you're not sleeping. Um, what? When did you move to Chicago? And what was the atmosphere? What was going on musically in Chicago at that time? Why did you choose that specific place?
1: In New York, like I said, it's the biggest. It's, it's the loudest. And I sense that it was actually moving away from music. I mean all the activities of the club and and what people were interested in, the conversations they were having, were moving away from music. Um, And I knew that it was only just a matter of time before music is not even part of the conversation. That it's just about making money, it's just about making the biggest party to have the most people. And so I began to eye another city. And and uh, I had an older sister living in Chicago, and I used to go there all the time to visit her and to buy music. And I was more familiar with uh, Chicago. And, of course, they have house music and uh, filled with so many artists. And um, so I decided that if I'm going to not go back to Detroit, if I'm going to go to any other place, it's going to be in Chi-Town. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to Chicago, and I'm going to be closer to house music and, you know, uh, and all that. You know, Chicago is the place where it's, it's a city of professionals. It's a city of people that have studied something or have accomplished many things, and this is where they decided to live. So you don't find the same type of hustle as in Manhattan. It's a much more comfortable place to live. And so, uh, so there was a certain type of relax that um i kind of melted into and that's when i got more into the business of running a label and and that led to creating sub labels like uh, purpose maker and it was there that i um uh, became more interested in classical music mm. um because my office was just around the corner from the musical hall uh, on, um, on michigan avenue and i used to go there to see concerts like Keith, Keith Jarrett, uh, John Williams, and so I was more familiar with with being around um, you know those people, and uh, that was really important actually to calm down from Manhattan and get more serious. It was it was where I decided that I wanted to be a musician for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm.
0: I wonder, you know, again, how how did this new environment shape your sounds, shape the sounds that you were then creating? And I know you mentioned the influence of, you know, the black churches in Chicago, even though that you're not necessarily religious. But this was another kind of sonic element in your environment, in your atmosphere that that kind of found its way somehow into into your music.
1: I mean, hanging out at a record store in Chicago is, you know, it's, it's almost like church in itself. I mean. You know, you you become exposed to so much music and so much rhythm and so much... I mean, there is, the, of course, the black church and black community on the west and, and south side. But then there's also the Latino uh, and Mexican communities, uh, which actually I, I lived closer and was more connected to those. And that had an impact on the music as well. It became more Latin and... Uh, before underground resistance, I was in an industrial band, and industrial music is very popular uh, in Chicago. And uh, I wasn't just going to house music clubs, but I was going to these industrial uh, clubs as well. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, and then jazz, of course, uh, it's 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 a much more academic city. Mm-hmm. So the universities, students, and uh, so I was becoming a bit more educated. <laughs> Uh, on the arts, I suppose, I guess one could say. And uh, that was moving into the music. I was um, becoming more conceptual and uh, trying to bridge the gap between music and science and music and science fiction, which science fiction is also enormously big in the Midwest, especially in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was finding these links of how I could connect electronic music to, to certain things
0: i'm interested to know cuz you know even even just in that kind of in your in what you said there are so many references and so many influences and you know if if you are as a musician sort of in a way, transmitting your environment, transmitting all of these things that you've described. I mean, is that when you actually sit down to make music, is this something that you're conscious of, or is it sort of you start and it flows through? Is it more kind of improvised? Is it more kind of unconscious, or is it something that you kind of set out to think? I'm going to put, right? I'm going to take this from the Latinos and I'm going to take this from the sci-fi, and you know.
1: <laughs> uh, well, um, that's the beauty of making music. I mean, you can just experiment. No one has to hear it, you know, um, if it doesn't work. (laughs) And and, uh, over time, I just got better and better and better at snatching things and moving things over and peeling things off and applying things to electronic music. And so if I want to make you feel like your nose is about to bleed, then there's a certain way to do that. (laughs) You know, if I if I want to make you feel as if you're out in space, floating, I, I can find a way to do that. And uh, it became more fun. Music became more fun, actually.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. So for your final moment, we're fast-forwarding to around 13 years ago when you decided to move to Paris. Um, another city, another new set of influences, of references. Why was that so important? And how, how did that, again, shape your, your career and your, the, your sound?
1: Right. Well, uh, yeah, I was I was in Berlin for about almost 15 years before I uh, moved to to decide to move to Paris. And in, in that in that time, I, I was trying desperately to um, get people to listen to some of my ideas, you know. Um, but I, I think being in a city where you have so many artists and so many DJs and there are too many DJs on the dance floor, <laughs> right? So nobody wants to dance, right? So, but at the same time, uh, I had an agent that was living in Paris, and I found that it was actually easier to have a conversation in Paris with promoters and with people about new ideas. And, um, and uh, well, I had composed uh, the music for the film Metropolis by Fritz Lang. I decided enough talking about how techno music could score a film i'm gonna i need to create a a working example so i did that album got such a response that interest came that perhaps maybe an orchestra could translate this music uh, and there could be a performance. And so the first rehearsal came in Berlin and it was just a disaster. I mean, the musicians <coughs> didn't like it. The conductor, uh, n- no one thought that it was going to work and and uh, it just all fell apart. But some people in France had heard about what I was trying to do. And uh, of course they, they knew this Metropolis project and, uh, and, and they asked if I would be interested in coming there to speak to some people about giving it another try, which um, I did. And that turned out to be um, the blue potential, the performance with the Montpellier uh, orchestra. And then at that point I decided, okay, so, you know, things can happen. And i um I I should leave Berlin. I should move to Paris. And even before I got there, I mean, I was finding opportunities and then once I got settled it was just uh nonstop. So I, I, I really realized I was in the right place. So
0: it's almost you know because yeah when you think Paris you think boulevards and and tr- and trees and whatnot you don't necessarily think techno but perhaps that's you know that it's the fact that it's it's not kind of imbued with that it's not kind of weighed down with that that's allowed you to explore different different avenues and what and what sort of coming next what what other what other projects do you have on oh, the horizon?
1: Paris it has such a history of creativity and they have such a history of uh, uh, opening their gates to musicians from other places Mm. so i was always compared to you know josephine baker and and other artists from america that could not do things there but uh would eventually find you know a place in paris to create so quincy jones and miles davis and and so um once they knew that i was interested in certain things they they would just uh help me materialize it. so i was interested in composing music for film. So I eventually work, I ended up working with uh, MK2 to work on Buster Keaton and some uh, footages of Josephine Baker. And then some of those were borderline art. And so a gallery approached me and wanted to know if I was interested in making an exhibition of just Josephine Baker. And then um, I started composing Uh, classical scores uh, for orchestras to play and that led to things like uh, Where Light Ends uh, um, and uh, uh, Light from the Outside World and Planets uh, which is um, a classical score uh, about the nine planets of the solar system and then the people in the science community realized that I had an interest in science (laughs) and space science and so then that led to Um, you know this and that and this and that and it just continues on and on and on and on and that's that's being in Paris that's being in France that's what you get when you're so close to so many creative people these type of things that pushes society forward it opens up opportunities for people to be able to understand things in certain ways so i'm there i'm still there uh and uh still creating still coming up with ideas and uh yeah it's it's great
0: yeah, I really hadn't made that that connection with, as you say, the sort of that move of so many, you know, African American artists to Paris, where there was this, you know, going from a situation in America where you're sort of constantly being squashed in or put in boxes or limited, and then this sort of sense of expanse and freedom in Europe. And you know, just thinking about the sort of trajectory that we've that we've mapped out throughout this interview, you know, from from the underground to kind of to high to high art. And I wonder, you know. You know, would would young Jeff, (laughs) um, you know, in Detroit when you first started, like, would you have imagined this is the sort of work that you would have been that you would have been um, making? And how does that transition feel?
1: No, no. I I, in the back of my mind, I probably had other plans. I mean, for sure, my parents had other plans for me. You know, Um, but I just followed, took the opportunities as they came. I did not, in most cases, I did not second think. These things. If I really felt that, that's what I'm going to try to do. And uh, sometimes things did not work. Sometimes they did. But that's that's the whole process.
0: Amazing. The uh, the spirit of experimentation. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful chatting to you and very inspiring. I'm like maybe I should move to Paris.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think you should. Well, you're 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 all you're all invited to come to Paris.
0: Uh I'm Zakia Sewell, and you've been listening to Signal Path, a podcast series by Shaw. This episode was recorded remotely with the SM7B and MV7 microphones.